So you're getting a real-time notary, real-time permit application, everything done in real time. And that's kind of what we built as a necessity because now we have eight different states we're operating in, right? We have, we're doing 10, 15,000 jobs a month across the country. I mean, it's, it's a big number, right? So a lot of movement, a lot of moving parts. We're trying to simplify and solve that for, for contractors. You're listening to Toolbox for the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to Toolbox for the Trades. Today, I'm speaking with Anthony Pereira, the Chief Growth Officer and founder of AirPros USA. Anthony and I talked about how he grew the business to $250 million in six years by raising debt capital, his various entrepreneurial ventures throughout the years, and how he and the team at Inspected.com are working to streamline the permit process for contractors across the country. Enjoy. Anthony Pereira, you are the Chief Growth Officer and Founder at AirPros USA. Welcome to Toolbox for the Trades. Thank you for having me, Jackie. I appreciate being here. I am so excited to talk to you. You've got a pretty interesting story. We're going to talk about how you came, went from being a technician to a technology entrepreneur. You are also the founder of Inspected.com and the Permit Hub, which we're going to get into in a little bit. But before we get there, we need to start at the beginning. But even before we get to the beginning, I need to ask you an icebreaker, which is the new way that I'm starting these podcasts. And I would love to know, since you're such a busy man, if you had to delete all but three apps from your smartphone, which ones would you keep? Probably Service Titan because I'm on this podcast. You didn't have to go there. You didn't have to go there, but you did. And I respect you for it. <laughs> Service <laughs> Titan, Inspected, and probably, probably, I don't know if email and text are kind of part of the Apple universe, but uh, probably those one of those two. Okay. If you could only email or text for the rest of your life, what would you prefer? Probably text because I think you get, you get better communication and responses. You can get more, more done quickly. Email's great, but if you look at my phone right now, I mean, it, it, it honestly would have, and I can probably show it to you over 110,000 unread emails. And it's not by design. It's just, it's, they, they kind of start piling up after a while and it becomes kind of a daunting task. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think my email right now has been like 1,200. I am impressed with 100,000 though. I haven't seen that. <laughs> um, so, but we're not here to talk about email and task management. We are here to talk about your journey in the trades and I want to know how it began. How did you get into the trades, Anthony? Yeah, so my father's been doing HVAC for as long as I can remember, you know, when I was a kid, he'd take me around with him on, on in his truck. And in a previous business I had, we were in the bar and restaurant industry. And my dad uh. was the construction manager. So he'd go and he, he'd manage the contractors, do the build outs, organize permits and all that good stuff. And and when I'd exited that business, truthfully, he came up with the idea of getting into an HVAC company. And, and my goal really was to just kind of get him off my payroll at the time, right? <laughs> so we started AirPros in 2017, um, one tech, one truck. And you know, I use that cliche term out of the garage of our house because it really was out of my garage. And that kind of, that was how AirPros was formed. It was because my, my father wanted to open his own business. He never owned actual air conditioning company. And I said, I'd handle marketing and an organization and setting up the business. And that was, you know, what is it now? Six years as of this, as of this June. That's amazing. And when we first spoke, you mentioned that 
it was one truck, one tech 2017, and now you're up to 40 million in AR and you have almost a thousand techs, I believe. So we actually will do 225 million this year in revenue. We have, we have over a thousand employees and just over 750 trucks in the organization. All right. So I also have a history in the bar restaurant industry. What, what a like split, right? Like, well, tell me, what were you doing in bar restaurant industry before that? So I think you should go back to the very beginning of my kind of entrepreneur journey, you know, started when I was 19. I was going, I was I actually was going to school for pre-law, knowing how much I've spent on lawyers now versus, you know, me getting my, my law degree could have saved me a few, you know, a couple million bucks, I, I think over the course of my career so far. But then you'd have to be a lawyer. No offense to any lawyers listening. My brother-in-law is a lawyer, so I respect you. I'm so happy that you do what you do, so I don't have to do it. That's what exactly I love to say. Right. And I have some great friends, sorry, who are lawyers, great friends who are lawyers who are awesome at their job, but I'm happy I didn't go down that path. I actually, I had a passion for, for racing mud trucks, funny enough. So growing up in Central Florida and the Ocala area, you know, mud truck racing and mud fest and all these events were, were kind of taking off circa 2006 and seven. And, and I was still in college and you know, I, I went to a store one day to buy a magazine. I was had a Jeep, a CJ7 that we'd go out and race on the weekends. And I wanted to buy a magazine to help make my truck faster. At the time, there really wasn't any magazine dedicated to our sport, right? You can go to the store and you'd buy a magazine for, you know, I don't know, four-wheeling or JP or whatever it was, or diesel power back then. And so I said, listen, how hard can it be? I was halfway decent in high school at writing and had a few cameras laying around. And so we, we started Mud Life back in 2000. It was a magazine dedicated to kind of the off-road sector, like lifestyle. You know, I had $10,000 that my grandfather had given me for college. And, you know, he told me not to use it for, for anything else but college. But we ended up using it to start the magazine and, you know, printed it the first copy. We had zero subscribers, zero advertising clients. It was literally a picture book with photos. And, and we'd walk around these events and hawk it like a hot dog vendor for $3 a copy. So took that, grew it, realized the importance when you're building a business, it's not just building the business, it's building the brand behind the business. And so with that, we hit the road and went to events and started printing t-shirts. And, you know, by our third issue, we were 19,000 stores across the country, books a million, Barnes and Nobles, Borders, all that fun stuff. It's kind of my real first jaunt into, into the, the business world. And, you know, I, I kind of had a lot of fun doing it. You know, eventually I sold the business to a big publishing firm. When I was like 21, going on 22 years old, I had dropped out of college, obviously, at this point, you know, and was really focused on, you know, becoming the chief editor for that magazine. Realized I was way too immature for that at that point in my career. Worked for them for about six months. And at 22, what else would be the, the cool thing to do at, 20, at 22 years old and own a bar restaurant in your hometown? So, so I, I decided to launch a country western theme concept, 22, going on 23, and it was hugely successful exited it a few years later, took a couple of years, about a year off, did some real estate and got the itch to go back into the bar restaurant sector. So I brought my father in the business to help kind of do the construction build outs. We opened six locations across four different states. And then I sold that business in 2016. A year later, we started AirPros. Okay. I didn't know any of that, but I wrote down two things while you were talking. First, you're not just building the business, you're building the brand behind the business. I mean, that's just a quote. You just said a quote right there. You just said like a tagline for the book that I imagine you're planning to write at some point. Also, you strike me as someone who, when you find a problem, you solve for it. I think, I think that's, that's kind of been, you know, I said, first of all, it, it's a passion of mine. You know, I'm a creative guy by nature and, and my creativity comes from building companies. 
but you know, kind of hitting on the brand perspective, it really hit me uh, pretty hard in the magazine industry because how do you set yourself apart from other magazines that are 40, 50, 60 years old in an already kind of crowded sector? And so, you know, when we started publishing the, the magazine, you know, our, our goal was we wanted to have our readers who actually go to the store, pick up a cart of oil, whatever they were doing for their truck and grab a mud life, right? That was the brand we created. And back then, this is circa 2007, eight, we had a million followers on Facebook when you couldn't buy followers, like you actually go get them. So when I went to go sell the business, it's kind of funny. We're at the, we're at the, I got a call from our biggest distributor. Time was sourced in a link media. And they go, I'm in this room. No idea why they called me. I thought they were going to like can me from the distribution. So I'm like petrified, 20, 21, 22 years old, walk in this room and there's the COO, the CEO, and like five executives around this table. And the guy, the CFO walks in and slams like all of his brands on the table and goes, how do you outsell us in the store three to one, two to one? You know, and I was like, well, we built a brand and our, we have a, a really, really endeared customer base that, that loves what we do. And so, and that's really kind of where I've used that mentality in building brands of all my companies, right? Even, even the bars and restaurants, I have patrons who had our logos tattooed on their arms. Right? I mean, like it was truthfully, I, I, I'll show you some pictures, but you know, it, it's funny because I, I jokingly say, I think I've contributed to, to more marriages, divorces, and babies in my career as a, as a, as a restaurant bar operator. <laughs> I even had a, we've had a funeral or two at the, at the bars, right? So you build this brand and you kind of really endear yourself to your customer base. And then we try to use that same mentality in building air pros. You know, it's not just anybody can choose any HVAC contractor. I mean, heck, there's, you know, tens of thousands of them in, in the U.S. and in, in, in each state. And how do you differentiate yourself? And, and it kind of goes to how we wrapped our first truck. And, and Dan will kill me, Antonelli from Kick Charge, because to this day, I'm probably one of the only, I think, brands he never actually rebranded. And he's, done nine of my other brands as, as we acquire companies. But, you know, air pros, our first truck was wrapped like a, like a zebra and a tiger. And it was nothing to do with air conditioning. And, and it's, it's horrible look, but you know, what it did is it set ourselves apart. And, and when customers saw it, they're like, Oh my God, what's this crazy tiger truck? And what is air pros? And so that's kind of how, you know, we grew the business organically for the first, you know, couple of, couple of years and started doing some strategic M and A and buying, you know, customer lists of, of defunct businesses or, guys who are struggling. And today I, I proudly sit here and I think we are the largest non-equity sponsored uh, HVAC platform. So we never actually raised equity. We've always raised debt capital, which is super unique in our industry. You know, so our shareholders and our organization control the whole entire business, which, you know, most, most platforms of our size, they've had multiple exits and, you know, the, the founders typically only retain a small portion. And in our business, we control the majority. So it's been a very, very interesting ride, a, a very unique way about to go about building a company. And, and, and we're very proud of it. I mean, I don't know. So when we put videos out of this podcast, you only see your face. So unfortunately, the folks watching on YouTube did not get to see me do the first ever Toolbox in the Trades walk away because you literally made my jaw drop. I cannot believe that at such a young age, you created a brand that people tattooed on their skin permanently. I have tattoos. I like tattoos. I don't have a brand tattoo. So that is, that is something. Love Dan Antonelli too, by the way, but man, we could go so, so deep on this, but I really want to talk for a moment about debt capital because you and your family are still, I think, 78% shareholders of the business. So can you tell me a bit about something like that, right? I think that's what you said at the beginning. So tell me a bit about how this debt capital works. Cause we've talked so much about private equity and M&A on this podcast. And this is something I haven't heard about before. So I know our listeners, some of our listeners haven't either. So tell me a bit about it. 
Yeah, listen, I mean, the, the, the traditional path and a lot of these operators, and, and it's a great path to take, so don't take anything away from you guys for what you've done, is to go and, and build your business and spend you know years doing it and, and eventually finding a partner who's going to either one, buy you from to start their own platform, so private equity group, or to a strategic where they're going to fold you into their platform and you're going to roll and so on and so forth. And, and, and we like that idea. You know, we had a, we had a, a very healthy pipeline of, of potential targets we wanted to acquire. And so, you know, I, I went out to seek an alternative means to doing so, right? And building real value for our shareholders because those that did roll with us obviously have intrinsic value because they're rolling into a platform that hasn't traded hands yet. So we actually met with a group uh, out of Austin, Texas, and we had a couple of bidders and suitors and we raised what's called a delayed draw term loan. So really what we did is we raised capital to do M&A. And so it was not cheap, don't by any means, it's not cheap capital, but it gave us the creative freedom and flexibility to take our business at the time we first raised the money was 45 million in revenue, you know, to over 200 million today. And even today, you know, we refinanced the capital a few times through one of the largest debt providers in the US. But even today, we still don't have any equity in our cap stack as we're recording this call right now. So it's really, it's really been an interesting, interesting ride. And, and listen, all the guys out there who are in their 20, 30, $40 million range, that, that exists for them as well. And happy to you know, talk more about that and how to source that, how to find that and, and be a resource to help other operators who want to do that because it's a path that a lot of people don't know about, right? They all, we're all in this industry as contractors think, okay, build my company, either I keep it, give it to my kids, which by the way, I, I'm not really for that. My kids, I can assure you, don't want my company, don't want my money, right? So it's when I pass away, right? They have no desire to run an HVAC company. Uh, they definitely want, you know, the money, right? So, but the other part of that is, is how do you keep scaling, right? How do you grow inorganically? How do you, how do you do M&A and, and not give up, you know, the majority of your company? And there's ways to do that. And we've done it. We're a perfect example of that and actually achieving that. And so, you know, I don't think anybody, even our capital partners would ever imagined at the rate at which we grew because of our ability to define a creative deals and, and great operators out there who, who we felt were a good fit for our organization. But it's been a really, really fun ride, and it's been a really interesting uh, process, and, and I've learned a ton in doing it. I promise you, you're going to get contact requests once this podcast launched to ask about how this works. I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of it, but I'm so happy you brought it to the table because it's important. One thing we do talk about, we talk about private equity partnerships, is it's so important to evaluate what your options are. And it just sounds like this is another option for folks in the 20, 30 million, 40 million dollar range to consider if they want to grow through acquisition, but don't want to partner with private equity in order to do it. So you've grown into a ton of markets. You're based out of Florida. And where again in Florida are you? Remind me, please. So we're headquartered right here in uh, Fort Lauderdale, actually a suburb of that called Plantation. That's where our headquarter office is. We operate in eight different states now. So Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, Colorado, uh, and Washington. And so, and we're looking to expand. Washington State? Yeah, yeah. We're way across the other side of the country. Dang. Okay. So as you grew into these new markets across the entire country... I mean, Pacific Northwest from Southeast Florida, right? From the Southeast? Yep. Yeah. Directions, huh? What are those? <laughs> what were some of the biggest obstacles to growth as you expanded into these markets? You know, I think the biggest thing is really just how do you manage communication? You know, a lot of the platforms out there, and, and no discredit to them, they've built great businesses. One of the things that we do differently is we're real integrators. And how we manage our company is we actually integrate the businesses, right? We're not aggregators. So in the, in the general sense, there's two types of platforms out there. You have integrators and aggregators. Aggregators are, are private equity guys who just go out and acquire EBITDA and revenue and consolidate it and eventually repackage it and go sell it. And that's the whole process. We wanted to operate the same playing field, right? So same sales processes, right down to the same job types, 
same KPIs, you know, same back office accounting software. I mean, all those things for us um, have a huge impact on how we operate. The other thing for me was kind of some some real self awakening moments as a business grew from you know forty to to a hundred to one hundred and forty million in revenue was making sure you had the right team members around you and right organizational infrastructure to support that. You know, I think the first thing you should do before you scale any business, or even if you're in your current business, is really make sure you have a good org, org chart, right? Make sure you know who reports to who. Communication lines are very clean. That's the best way to get things accomplished. And then for me, it was really building out an executive leadership team that's done this before, right? So surround yourself with people who either have more knowledge than you or, or, you know, or equal knowledge to you to help you grow. And I think we've done a very good job of that in our organization. So you know, I stepped down as CEO of the business March of last year and brought in full C-suite, right? So Rob DePietro, our CEO, fantastic operator. Brian Smith, our COO, fantastic operator. Richard Ottram, our CFO, fantastic operator. And they brought their own skill sets to the organization and then matures the business even further. So I know it's kind of a long-winded answer, the question you asked? No, but you're, but you're hitting themes that we hit a lot on this show, which is org charts. I have, I've had Ali be on the show a dozen times, not dozen, that's a euphemism, but a couple of times. And he talks so much about the importance of org charts, not only to knowing who reports to who, but also to give career pathways to folks who want to grow within the business. So I think that's so important. And I'm really, I think it's, pretty incredible that you stepped down as CEO and now you're CGO, C- Chief Growth Officer. Arbitrary title. No, don't know what it really means, but it sounded pretty cool when they gave it to me. So I kind of took it. So Chief Growth Officer. Yeah. I would love to know what your prime objective is as Chief Growth Officer. And I'm assuming this probably goes into what you're doing with Inspected and Permit Hub. Kind of, you know, it's kind of a little separated, you know, for me with as a Chief Growth Officer, my number one role is to keep growing through both inorganically and organically. So making sure that we have the right you know, tools for our team to organically grow the businesses, but also to continue to find great partners who want to partner with us and other targets for M&A that we can you know, get done and can help us grow inorganically. The inspected business and Permit Hub really came out of a necessity that we had in our organization going back, I don't know, 2021, 2020-ish, where you know, we're installing a time where roughly $40 million in revenue and and we're doing, let's call it 30, 40, 50 systems, whatever the number is across the day, you know, across the organization. And if you know anything about permitting, it's a really mundane process, but a lot of municipalities require it, right? So we go to a customer's house, we install a system today, and then we got to go back there three or four days later and wait for Bob or John or Sally, the mechanical inspector to come out and say, okay, well, it looks good. Well, listen, we all know, right? They're worse than the cable company most times. No offense to any municipality listening in here. I, we, do, we do have a big municipality audience, so get ready <laughs> for some pushback, Anthony. I got government people <laughs> listening to this show like you have no idea. You were saying some hot takes. Yeah, I know. Uh, we're, 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 I'm going to get my permits all start failing all of a sudden, right? But uh, Oh, no, no, no. Okay, yeah. Okay, so yes, you as you're growing, as you're expanding, you're installing 30 to 50 units a day, and you have this really annoying problem where you're going in, doing the work, and then you have to come in and go back to the homeowner's house and wait for this mythical permit inspector who may or may not show up. 100%. And listen, they're, they're government employees. No, again, no offense to them, but you know they, they don't have a certain schedule they have to adhere to. So they're going to come at their time. And I was saying they're kind of worse than the cable company. I mean, how many times you call the cable company out and they give you a window from 9, 9 to 12 and they show up at 6, 6 p.m. at night? So the homeowner's sitting there waiting all day. I like to have one of our team on site when they do the inspections because if there's something wrong, having to wait and reschedule for later, right? We're there instantly in the mix, can fix it. Okay, sign off, we're done. It just, it's a very, 
antiquated process, very arduous, and, and you know, it's got it, it's ready for change. So we built the technology. Um, you know, it's it's patent pending. Hopefully, patent gets issued soon. But we we geolocate a video conferencing call in real time to a specific location. And so what Inspected set out to do was sell this technology to to municipalities, right? But if you ever talk to a government agency and selling to a government agency, it's like pulling teeth, right? It takes forever. It's RFPs. I mean, it's a very long tail project. So then we realized that 47 states allow for what's called a third party inspector. So big home builders, Lennar, Pulte, whatever these guys are, they're not waiting for Bob, Sally, John to show up to their, you know, 100 track home site to inspect the a duck rough, right? They have an engineering firm on site. And as they're going along through the process, they're signing it off. I said, oh, great. What if we can manage or, or marry this technology with this kind of law that exists in almost every state in the country? Now, how, that's how Inspected was born. So now in Florida, Georgia, and Texas for Inspected in real time, um, when install crews are done, we do roofing, solar, all the trades, even, even new home construction. But when install crews are done with the job, Right, they call our remote inspectors virtually and get inspected and pass the permit in real time, and so there's no more waiting, which is super cool, right? Because it solves that problem. The, the, the second piece to that is, you know, in doing that, we realize there's a whole bunch of automation involved with managing a permit, right? So it's all the different different forms you need for different municipality. It's the in this muni, you got to have this document signed for this change out, whatever it may be. And so we we essentially built this this we call it a document engine, or now it's called Permit Hub which is going to be launching here any, any week. It's in beta right now and, and doing all that fun stuff. But integrates directly with Service Titan. So when, the, when, you cre- when you sell a job, right, and the job creates a required permit, it pulls that data in, automatically fills out all the required forms for that municipality so that your permit team in your office have it all in one spot. And like every other contractor who manages a permit, I can assure you most of us are managing it on a Google spreadsheet or Excel file where... Miss Smith was installed on, you know, December 1st, 2020, you know, three, whatever it is. And you're having to manually check up on where that process is. What Permit Hub aims to, to solve for is a one-stop shop where even if you don't want to use our inspection services, you can go in there and actually manage, control, maintain. So with, with Permit Hub, now it's, it's a one-stop shop that can manage your entire permitting workflow from start to finish. And that'd be a resource or a database to find out where in the process they exist. So you know, not, not a plug for Permit Hub or Inspected, but definitely I think it's a, it's a cool solution that, that we, as a contractor, have developed outside of AirPros. So it's no, you don't know about any kind of, you know, co-mingling of anything, but different leadership team. But it definitely, it definitely solves for a problem that we all face. How do we manage our permits? How do we get our inspections and jobs done and close out faster? And how do we track where customers are in a life cycle of a permit? Yeah. So going back to what I said 20 minutes ago, 25 minutes ago, you are someone who finds a problem and you solve it, which I think is a really phenomenal quality to have, not just as a contra- as a entrepreneur, but as a person, as a contractor. So I'm complimenting you. Here you go. I'll take my compliment. There you go. Appreciate the compliment. Thank you very much for it. <laughs> so just to kind of reiterate here. So for Florida, Georgia, and Texas, inspected.com allows a technician to when they're done with their tool, when they're done with their installation, they can go to inspected.com, get a virtual inspector. And in real time, that inspector could look at everything and say, yep, it's good to go. So now we've just eliminated a homeowner having to stay home another day, waiting for a fictional inspector and having your tech get sent out too, to make sure everything's okay, which is what you at AirPros prefer to do. And then Permit Hub enables you to track all the permits. You said, you know, installing 30, 50 systems a day from start to finish. So it takes away that Google Sheet component. 
And, and that, it also automates the documentation requirements because if you're, let's just say you're a contractor and like for us in, in, in Broward County, right? In one county, there's 13 different municipalities and every municipality has their own requirement of what do documents you have to have or forms required for that change out, right? And so we've taken all those forms, we've literally painstakingly, very, very diligently automated every single one of those things so that, that in real time, you can have that done. And then the other cool feature we didn't talk about for Permit Hub, and we can, we can get off it and go talk about other fun contractor stuff, is we actually do real-time notary. So when a job's sold in real time, the other problem we have as a contractor is getting the homeowner to notarize those documents, right? So not to pull a permit. So in a matter of three minutes of submitting a, it's an average, so don't hold me to that number, but between three and six minutes, right, as the average time we have from the sale process for taking a home, submitting job sold or signed estimate or estimate approval, whatever, whatever your structure is inside of Service Titan, we can actually email the homeowner or, or text, whatever you prefer, the actual uh, link to click and sign all those permit docs. We talked about that all automated in real time. So you're getting a real-time notary, real-time permit application, everything done in real time. And that's kind of what we built as, to your point, as a necessity, because now we have eight different states we're operating in, right? We have, we're doing 10, 15,000 jobs a month across the country, across the country. I mean, it's, it's a big number, right? So a lot of movement, a lot of moving parts. We're trying to simplify and solve that for, for contractors. This is so freaking cool, Anthony. And I want you to know, like, I've had several folks on the show at this point now who, like Service Titan, are innovating new technology to make the space more efficient, to make the space more friendly to the contractor, to the business owner. And I just think it's so cool that you're doing this. I think it's really, really fantastic. I appreciate that. And, you know, again, the good thing about it is that we're also contractors, right? So we, we, we come from the industry. We know the pains. We all face them. I mean... Funny enough, I want to tell you a quick story about Service Titan and my relationship with Service Titan, right? Because it's super comical. So Service Titan is, is, is a godsend. I mean, it's, yeah, there's no other way. It's a gold standard in operating when it comes to HVAC companies, home service companies. You know, when I first started AirPros, remember circa 2017, 18, you guys were finally getting your stride. Like you're actually getting and going and really expanding. That's when they hired me, by the way. That's when they hired me. They're like, we got Jackie. We can go. This is all that matters. You definitely drove the growth, Jackie, I promise. Thank you. And, mm -hmm. and, Just saying. <laughs> and so I, I call up the rep at the time and I'm like, hey, you know, I, I'd like to use service site. And we had two technicians and two trucks, well, kind of like a tech and a half, right? And they were like, yeah, you're way too small. I said, listen, guys, just take a shot on me. I promise you we're going to get this thing. We're going to grow it. And I, I painstakingly convinced them to give us a shot. And that was 2000. I think we could get a client 18. And, you know, I mean, we now have, I don't know how many instances of the product and operating different states across the universe of, of, of the country, but you know, it, it's been an invaluable resource. But I always, always tell that joke when I talk to the team at Service Titan. You guys almost didn't have me as a client. <laughs> I know, I know. And then the egg would have been on our face. And I have to let all the listeners know, for those who don't know, I started my career at Service Titan as the social media manager. And if Anthony maybe posted a passive aggressive comment on a Facebook ad or maybe sent a, put up a Google review that wasn't so nice. I was the one who responded. And now here we are in 2023, just living our best lives. We're going to get back to inspected.com and Permit Hub at a, in a second, because I want to close out and I want to let folks know how they can get involved with this. And I want to talk about the integration with in-service type. But I just, okay, real quick, I'm just going to go through your resume. Magazine creator, <laughs> bar and restaurant, like restaurant tour, two times over. HVAC entrepreneur, like to a $250 million 
now doing inspected.com and permanent hub, you're essentially a startup entrepreneur, you're a technology entrepreneur. And I want to know, do you experience any imposter syndrome? And if so, how do you overcome it? You know, in, like as I'm an the imposter, like as from a startup perspective, you know, I, I tell you as much. Do you know what imposter syndrome is? I have no clue what that is. I've never. Oh my gosh, I'll tell you and I'll let the, the rest of the team know. So imposter syndrome is something where you're in a role and you're good at your job, but for whatever reason, you have some internal voices in your head that tell you, I'm not good enough. What am I doing here? I'm a fraud. People are going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing. And when I was thinking about your background, Anthony, I was like, I wonder if this guy has this issue. I have this issue. I know a lot of people do. You may not, and that's okay. So I think the crux of my question really is like, how do you do it? You know, I... I I, I, again, I think we started off with my creative juices come when I when I build something, right? And I, I have a passion for building companies. I don't think I ever have an, an imposter syndrome. Listen, we're, we're all humans. So we all have this internal dialogue with ourselves. Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right decision? Am I, you know, did I start my career as an actual technician? No, I didn't. I started as a business guy who 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 had his dad in the trades, you know, who saw his dad work and sell. My dad's never owned an HVAC company. He's always been a tech or sales guy, um, you know. It's definitely a, a rude awakening, though, going back from running a company with a thousand employees and a full C-suite and VP levels and directors and GMs and regionals. They're having to be in a startup environment. It's completely different because now you're doing the work. And I think that's what most entrepreneurs enjoy is actually that phase of the business where you actually are doing the work. And we all preach, right? Work on the business, not in the business. But a lot of that fun when you first build a company is working in the business, right? I mean, I can't tell how many times as, as an air pros. Why well, get a phone call at 10 o'clock at night and I drop off a fan motor to a technician who is running a service call because they're all out of stock on their truck, right? Like, so, you know, don't, don't I guess one piece of advice you give other entrepreneurs is, is don't be afraid to work in the business until you can work on the business, right? Like, you know, everybody's always trying to push to work on it and they kind of, they lose sight of what actually is making the business tick. And that's real important. But, I, you know, I don't think I have imposter syndrome. I think I have, like we all do, an internal dialogue with, am I doing the right thing? Do I have the right team? Is this decision I made the right decision? Am, am I making the right decision on a daily basis? But yeah, I think that's probably the, the correct way to address that. Wow. So you're a mentally healthy person. What's it like, Anthony? <laughs> I read a lot of books. Take a page out of Tommy Mello, right? Like read, 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 learn, learn, learn. I'm actually reading a book right now so I can read more effect effectively. Uh, how to read 200 pages in one hour. So it's a pretty interesting book. Yeah. That's amazing. Very, very cool, Anthony. I love that you gave, I mean, dude, you talk so quick. You've given like so many insights. I want to keep you longer, but I think this episode is like jam-packed with great content already. Tell the folks listening how they can learn more about inspected.com and Permit Hub. For sure. It's pretty easy. You can go to www.inspected.com. Oh, I was thinking like send a carrier pigeon. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's up with me today. Like I, I'm really punchy today. This is good. I'm glad. I'm happy about it. Okay, sorry. Go to inspected.com. Yeah, and you can learn there and sign up. There's a little box. You learn more about us and one of our amazing talented team members will reach out to you. Same with Permit Hub. You can go to inspected.com and actually get the Permit Hub if you wanted to or permithub.com as well to, to reach out and we'll love to show you a demo and, and get you on and get you signed up. It's not officially launched yet. It's coming out hopefully soon. And, you know, we're doing some pretty early sign up stuff to get you be a first adopter, all that fun, fun jazz. Cool. So this is probably going to come out at the end of August, beginning of September. So where do you think you guys will be when this interview comes out? By then you can sign up for sure. 
Awesome. Awesome. And just to clarify, are they two separate companies or is Permit Hub kind of underneath the inspected.com umbrella? Yeah. So inspected is the parent company because you could you can use Permit Hub and then have our inspectors do the inspections or just use inspected as standalone, but inspected is the, the main business. And then Permit Hub is our technology that actually powers inspected. So the technology that we use internally to, to manage all of our contractors on inspected is actually what Permit Hub truly is. Got it. And can you tell us a bit about how you're talking with service Titan folks about potential integration? Yes, right now it's pretty simple. It's kind of a one-way integration. So you you create a job tag or a tag on a job that permit required, and we can pull it in and create the product, create the the job inside of Permit Hub based on those details. Uh, I think eventually it becomes a smoother as we continue to grow and build the product out becomes a lot easier, but I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, we, every couple hours we ping and get our API key to push over the information and then we can we do it that way. Awesome. Very cool. So excited that we're aiming from begging service Titan to, to let you pay us to now integrating your own software into our software, I think is a super cool transition if you haven't thought of it that way or not trans transformation of evolution. Evolution for sure. I have to ask, because I know you're a reader, right? What book made the biggest impact on you professionally? And you don't have to pick just one. You can pick multiple, but I would love to know what are some titles that really, really made you think and made you go like, wow. There's a book that, that uh, one of our VPs brought in to me about two years ago now, and we've kind of used it pretty regularly in our business. Traction by Gina Wickman, great book. Really helps on, on kind of organizational communication structure, meeting structure, meeting cadence, what kind of my takeaways, especially as a leader who's evolving in a business, it's definitely helpful. Obviously, Good to Great is a great book, talks about, you know, life cycles of companies, what makes good companies great, and so on and so forth. One I'm reading right now is The Innovator's Dilemma, um, which is kind of about how businesses shift and change. And it, it's really interesting read, and, and I would highly recommend that. Um, but I'm a big, I, I like reading kind of the autobiography business stories. So you know, the story on the shoe dog or whatever the, the title of that book was. And we, I'm reading the one right now, actually just finished it uh, on Trader Joe and his, his path and his journey. And so kind of, it's, it's fun to, to learn what these guys went through and the stuff they had to overcome as operators and entrepreneurs. Very, very cool. Anthony Pereira, thank you so much for sharing your story on Toolbox for the Trades. I am so excited for the official launch of Inspected.com and Permit Hub. I can't wait to hear more. And hopefully you and I can partner again in the future on some content to tell more folks about these really cool tools you created. I would love it. And I really enjoy the time being on on the show with you. And uh, thank you again for having me. Are you a power user of Service Titan? Join the Torch Network, our exclusive community of top users. Network with peers, influence our software's direction, and participate in reference opportunities with prospects. Enjoy exclusive benefits, such as special content and events, discounted service type event tickets, and brand exposure. Click the link in our show notes to join the Torch Network today and take your service Titan experience to the next level.